welcome to the Last of the Moon podcast. I'm Bryce McCracken. I am crystal ball falling at a large, large speed to bring in the new year. Were you underprepared for this? I was. I didn't think about the silly <laughs> thing that I wanted to say. We're filming on New Year's Eve. I'm Brett Redshaw talking about our top 10 movies of the year. Yeah, it's currently 1.30 p.m. December 31st. And if you are a longtime listener of this show... You will know our first ever episode was January 1st of 2023, and we did the top 10 movies of 2022. And again, if you've been following the podcast, you know we haven't been here for a while. All three of us, me, Brett, and Wyatt, went through some pretty major life changes uh, all around the same time, and it was pretty difficult to all find overlapping time to uh, record podcasts. But we have still been seeing movies. Uh, We're still... Big uh, big movie boys, that has, has not changed. And we have a lot of movies that we're very excited to talk about. So like Brett said, uh, we're going to be doing our top 10 movies of the year. Brett, did, did you... I know both of us saw less movies this year, but Certainly. did you... At least less movies than last year, but did you still feel like you were out a lot at the movies? Did you feel like the quality of the movies was where it was at last year? Was there any improvement, any decline... What were your thoughts? I definitely did not make it out as much as I wanted to. Uh, and I w- found myself being so busy this year. Basically, one of the new changes that uh, Bryce was talking about is that I got a brand new job that requires me to be given up a lot more of my kind of personal time. Basically, I don't r- work remotely anymore. And so it used to be really easy to sit at home and throw on a movie that was new and we wanted to see. Or, you know, I, I would finish my day. That's and time theft. Certainly. <laughs> oh, no, I meant at the end of the day. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Wink, wink. I never did any time theft ever for my future employers never. who are listening to this. It Basically, I, I found myself a lot more available in previous years for us to be able to consume content together. And now I'll get home after an eight-hour day and want to do nothing but like lay face down into my pillow. And we're both very extroverted people, so we're... Our social schedules are also quite packed all the time. Yeah, that laying down on my pillow was just enough to get my social battery going. <laughs> and then we'd go out the door to go bowling or play poker or, you know, go to a bar with friends. So there wasn't so much time as well as I found myself much less interested in, like, the overall general slate of movies that came out over the course of the year. Both of us love going to see movies. It doesn't even really matter that much the quality of the movies that we were going to see. Um, we'll still go see them anyway. Uh, we saw a lot of really bad movies last year yes. and a couple this year as well. But it didn't really matter. We would just go regardless. Uh, and I couldn't kind of... The combination of like me not being able to find the care for what was coming out on top of being very busy just like clashed so badly that I didn't go out as much as I wanted to. With that being said, like the last two months felt like like a superstar roster of movies that (laughs) I it's been ridiculous. I have never seen before that. I've been so excited to get into movies that like, if you would have asked me the quality of the overall year of films at like August, I would have said like, this was so bad mid beyond belief (laughs) year for movies. Uh, And then we got to the end and I'm looking at my list and I can't believe how passionate I am about the movies that are on here. The ones that got in just at the final stretch. Yeah. Yeah, I saw, I think, upwards of 80 movies last year, and it was in the 60s for the year prior. But exactly like you, I'm looking at my list of... I I had made... We're doing top 10s, but I made 20. 
and my top 20 for this year, last year, and the year prior will be on my letterbox. That will be in the description for this episode. And we'll throw Brett's in there too if you want to check his out. But looking at my top 20, there are genuinely like probably 23, 24 movies that I can say that came out this year that I really, really liked. And when it came down to making a top 10, I actually like really, really struggled for like the nine through 15 range. You'll see like my, my, especially my 10 on my list is like definitely a a bit of a hot take. Um, But that was largely because it was like, there were five or six movies that it was clear I was very passionate about. And I loved a lot that I was not going to have a chance to talk about at length um, at all this year on, on this podcast. And so I, I, my, my, my list is a little bit unique. There might be some hot takes in there, but I'm excited to go over it. I feel almost equally excited to talk about honorable mentions as I do the actual top 10 list because obviously we don't have all the time to just go over every single movie that we saw, but there's so many movies that just almost made the cut into the mm-hmm. top 10 that, I don't know, they're all great. Yeah, and if if that's like how you gauge the quality of a year for movies in terms of just like there are this many movies that came out this year that I'm really passionate about or I think are really successful. I definitely think this is a much better year, especially, I mean, definitely a a better year than last year, but especially the the two years prior than that, like since you and I have been really into movies since that, arguably since probably 2019, this is probably the best, most stacked year for movies. And that's, that's really exciting. And um, I just want to take a second before we get into the list to thank you listener for your support. Uh, over this you. first year, we love you very much. We're very grateful. The first six months of, of this year, we were working very hard on this podcast, and it was a lot of fun. And honestly, we just did it for ourselves. We, Brett and I just like to talk about movies, and we, had, we wanted to create a platform that we could do that and share those conversations with people. And seeing that there are people that actually like really enjoy listening to us talk about movies and, and have us as their most listened to podcast yeah, 60 on or so i want to say had us as a number one podcast if i remember correctly. no it, it wasn't that high uh <laughs> but I, in my heart it was that high <laughs> in brett's heart there were 60 people that had us as our as their favorite podcast of the year and we're very grateful for that so yeah i i don't necessarily have a plan for where this is going to go in the future i've got a lot of ideas bouncing around in my head and uh, a lot of it's going to come down to where I land on my feet job-wise because that was my big change. I actually lost my job and uh, really just threw my whole life for a loop. So, um, yeah, your support means the world. And uh, without further ado, let's get into our top 10 slash top 20 movies of the year. Um, the way that this is going to work, Brett and I are each going to give our top 10 movies that we have made. The title of this episode might say Top 10 Best might just say top 10. Regardless, it is impossible to quantify best movies of the year, so we're not really going to be doing that. We um, don't review movies on this podcast. We just talk about them. We just talk about them. These are the movies that we found to be the most successful and we enjoyed the most. Likely some combination of objective quality of filmmaking and then also just a lot of personal taste and, and what worked for us. So the way that this is going to work, uh, if you saw our top 10 episode last year it's going to be a little bit different brett and i are going to give our top 10s starting at 10 we'll have brett go first he'll give it his 10th favorite movie of the year 
if that is a movie that I share somewhere on my list, I'm still going to talk about it, but I won't reveal exactly when or where that is on my list uh, until it gets there. So that'll leave some element of suspense for our lists. Um, Brett and I have not seen each other's lists, so hopefully we are just as surprised as you are. That being said, Brett and I do have a lot of overlapping movie taste, and we live together, so we did see a lot of movies together. I'll tell you right now, actually, I was just going to say for the top, for the 10th movie that I have to talk about, or the first movie, it's the only one that I know for a fact that you haven't seen. Oh, love that. So I'm excited to talk about that number 10, but then the rest of it, we've all, you know, overlapped together, because literally every other one we've seen together. Yes. So. Uh, and before we get into these lists, I am just going to rapid fire some movies that I've been seeing on a lot of top 10 lists or these movies were really well, well reviewed this year. Um, but as far as I'm aware, these are movies that both Brett and I did not get a chance to see. So if you don't see these on our list, that would be why. Uh, rapid fire. John Wick Chapter 4, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, Godzilla Minus 1, Dream Scenario, Passages, Godland, The Taste of Things, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. How to Have Sex. don't even know what that is, but it sounds good. Uh, Rye Lane and Fallen Leaves. Correct me if I'm wrong. You haven't seen any of those. No, I do know what sex is. I'll tell you later. Okay. I, I will appreciate that um, in due time. But let's get into these lists. Yeah. Were, were there any surprises on your list? Like anything that when you started throwing your list together, you didn't really expect to, to see that make an appearance? Or, or maybe... Don't, don't tell us what those, what those are, but you got any hot takes? Um, I would say I have one hot take. No, two hot takes of movies that I know that people did not love. In fact, sometimes I've heard vehemently hate. Uh, That's very exciting. That are both in my, uh, not only top five, in my top three. Wow. Um, so I'm excited to talk about those. And then there's at least one movie that I'm excited to talk about that I really, really enjoyed whenever I saw it initially. And then whenever I was actually pulling the list together and thinking about what I really liked one over another, this movie, I was like, I, I forgot how much I loved this. And I feel like this is like a flawless film and it might be surprising which one that is. Oh boy. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I, I've definitely got some hot takes. Nothing that I think is like egregious, like nothing that was like a hated movie by any means, but they're definitely... There are some, some lauded movies that I think people will be surprised to not see in my top 10. And then additionally, definitely a, a couple movies that I think people won't expect to see in a top 10. But ultimately, that's kind of like what makes these lists fun, like these personal lists, because everyone has like their own subjective taste. Everyone has their own niche. And I, I feel like a lot of my favorite movies ever I've found through like conversations with people and just learning what... Like, what is that movie that, like, really hits home with you? And then sometimes you have those overlapping tastes, and so... We were talking yeah. about this the other day. We Neither one of us uh, watch trailers, or at least we avoid mm -hmm. trailers as best as possible. But just because we follow the industry, we know what we want to see. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I was having a conversation with somebody about that, and they couldn't wrap their head around, like, you watch movies all the time and you never watch a trailer. How do you know what How do you know what's see? good? Yeah. I just kind of see everything mm -hmm. <laughs> as much as I can. Yep. Um, I'll get started. How Love about that? that? Uh, number 10 for Brett is <laughs> Matt Johnson's Blackberry. Very uh, exciting. I watched Blackberry this year. I watched it through a series of lunch breaks at my job, came home and told Bryce how excited I was to see this movie. I think I finished it at home one day cause I like, I started it and mm -hmm. then I, I couldn't get enough. 
I was really excited about this and was happy that it made it all the way onto my top 10 because I want to talk about it so badly. It stars Jay Baruchel, Matt Johnson, who's also the director of the film, and a very personal favorite of mine, Glenn Howerton. I'm a big Always Sunny fan. He plays Dennis in the critically acclaimed TV very show. Very angry. Very angry man. And he, that does not stop in this movie. He, <laughs> he, I know that like the director just was like, who can I get to scream the best? <laughs> and he found him. And I'm so glad that he did the role because he has an excellent role in this movie. It is so perfectly casted. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a story about the Blackberry, as per the title. Uh, the meteoric rise and the meteoric fall of the Blackberry. Kind of a um, a, a warning about practices in, of business and, and what to do, how they compare against the elder uh, businesses that, that didn't fail the way that they did, the way that we all know that they did. There is uh, somebody for me who's interested in technology and who I, I we're young, but we're not that young. I remember the BlackBerry and, yeah. and how it related to the iPhone. There's, you know, Apple plays a big role. Steve Jobs plays a big role in this movie. And uh, that's really, uh, it's a cool retrospective to see the story that is so rarely told uh, Matt Johnson is Canadian and Blackberry is a Canadian company. A lot of people didn't know that. I didn't know that at the time. So Waterloo, Canada, Waterloo, Canada, kind of middle of nowhere. It's like an 45 minutes outside Toronto. Yeah. Pretty wild. Research in motion is the company that made the Blackberry, which is uh, still to this day, like one of the most well-respected companies in the country. As I understand it, I'm not from there, but these are, these are things that I've heard. It, I describe it as like Canadian social network mm-hmm. where it is, um, social networky in the sense of like this is young industry coming up and these innovators it is not so like sharp cutting edge but it's uh, a little bit more intense at times Uh, i thoroughly enjoyed this Mm -hmm. movie a lot did you say i hadn't seen this movie I thought you didn't see this movie no i I did end up you you talked so highly that i did end up watching. i didn't know that we didn't talk about it um maybe maybe it was because of this yeah i did really enjoy blackberry it is not on my list. I, I I did find the there were there were two like pretty decent like business success story movies that came out this year. The other one was Air. I did like BlackBerry a lot more than Air. I think, um, but comparing it to the Social Network, I, I think you have to just because it's like oh this is the start of a company. But the Social Network has it. It's such an exception because it, it feels so like prescient for today like i I watched that movie two or three times this year the social network and every time i watch it i i find another piece where i'm like oh that is like so applicable to the world today even though this movie is pretty old and there's always so much for me to think about every time i watch the social network and i didn't necessarily find that to be the case in blackberry i don't want to spend too much time on like why it didn't work for me because ultimately I did really, really enjoy it. Jay Baruchel's performance was really good. It was really funny, like a lot funnier than I was expecting. It was a lot of fun just watching, uh, what's his name? Yell the the entire movie. There was a very fun tie to, to the Pittsburgh penguins that I was not expecting. Yeah. I, I, I liked this movie a lot. If you, if you're into like based on a true story, business world type movies i think this is like without a doubt the best one this year um i liked it a lot um do you keep an all-time list i used to i had a top 50 going for a while but it literally changed constantly so i just deleted it 50 is a lot to keep track of all the time I, i keep a top 30 and i think social network is at three so yeah like i compare the two because like you said they 
have to be comped. Like mm-hmm. there's no way around it. But to be clear, like even though this is number 10 for me, it really doesn't hold a candle in terms of like quality and how much I enjoy it. But I, I really did like Well, Black it's like Berry. you're copying the best movie of all time, basically. <laughs> so it's like even even a, a, a portion of, of the greatness that is the social network. I don't know what this has anything to do with Ant-Man Quantumania, but. The greatest film the of greatest all time. The greatest film of all yeah, time. Yeah, I mean. That was uh, my personal favorite of the year, and I'm sure it was yours. We'll get there in due time. But yeah, Blackberry, Brett's number two, ten. Number Brett's 10. number ten. Yes, sir. Uh, my number ten. Oh, I'm so sorry. One more time. I don't know if you got streaming notes. You can still watch. Uh, hmm, so, yes. I almost said the social network. You can still watch <laughs> Blackberry on Amazon Prime. Cool. Yeah, we're, we're going to try to mention where you can watch any of these movies because... We recommend them. We think it would be great that you watch them, and I think it will also improve your enjoyment of listening to this podcast if you get a chance. But yeah, my number 10 movie of the year. This one's definitely a bit of a hot take. I was stuck between this and like five other movies, but I went with like a Bryce play. This is Infinity Pool. Did you get a chance to watch this no, one? No, I regret that I did not see Infinity Pool. I know a lot about it, I feel, but didn't get a chance to yeah this is uh brandon cronenberg uh he's a horror director and more notably probably the son of famed horror director david cronenberg this is his most recent movie i have not seen either of their work a whole lot but if there is one thing that i know from the few movies that i have seen from the pair of them they make really fucked up movies and it's a lot of fun if they do it well um this is definitely my favorite horror movie of this year It follows a couple taking a vacation to a third world country uh, where they have a uniquely demented way of punishing the criminals that uh, are visiting this country. Uh, It stars Alexander Skarsgård and the Scream Queen, Mia Goth. Um, Yes, sir. Two years in a row, Mia Goth representation on the Last of the Moon top 10 list. Wyatt had Pearl in his number two spot last year, I think. Always thought that was pretty wild, but Pearl's a great movie. Mia Goth is excellent. That's why we had the podcast, to bring you guys exactly. our takes. Exactly. But yeah, this is, I think, without a doubt, my favorite of Mia Goth's performances. It is just absolutely insane, completely demented. She's electric, though. Um, like, you truly cannot take her eyes or your eyes off of her in this movie. Yeah, it's it's really disorienting. There's a lot of, like trippy visuals and it it starts off almost like this like beautiful vacation movie and everything turns pretty quickly it it has a lot to say on the exploitation of third world countries and all of that but that's not really at the forefront of of this movie it's it's really just a really fun time i i saw this one by myself uh at like 10 30 at night in the theaters and it was one of the few movies that like actually disturbed me and i was thinking about a lot on the way home yeah, if you're into horror, if you're into surreal horror specifically, um, I highly recommend Infinity Pool. It is streaming on Hulu. Very nice. That brings us to my number nine. This is a movie that Bryce and I saw together, just like every other movie that I'm about to say, <laughs> May, December. Brett, Go I'm going to interrupt you. Your number nine? My number nine is May, December. Wow, so exciting. Wow. I think we had a couple of those last year as yes, well. We that did. just happened to be right in the right spot. May, December is Todd Haynes's. A slice of life melodrama. It stars Natalie Portman, Julianne Moore, and Charles Melton, which is kind of insane. Like, <laughs> I did not know about Charles Melton, like Euphoria's mm-hmm. Dream Boy. Me neither. <laughs> I had never seen Euphoria. You'd never seen yeah. Euphoria. I think I saw like an episode or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did not realize that he's like very beloved, and he's just kind of like building his portfolio with uh, this new movie. 
um, Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore already. That's just stupid that you have them together. And then you have like the rising young star, Charles Melton, who is, uh, you know, he's on pace for, uh, getting at the very least an Oscar Oscar nomination really come together to make an awesome movie. Uh, you get to see a kind of intertwining of lives in this movie, different people acting different performances for different purposes. You want to say in what this movie is about before you um, go in too much. I'm about trying that? to say not too much. Yeah. It was, I, I have a, a brief, like, so all this is, is Natalie Portman plays an actress who is making a movie about Julianne Moore's character's life. She's playing her in a movie. It's a very good way to boil it's a, it down. It, she has a comp, Julianne Moore's character has a very complicated backstory. So it, it kind of explores that as Natalie Portman like learns more and more about who J- Julianne Moore's character is as a person and what led her to make the decisions that she might have made. Yeah, go ahead, Brad. I, I, I interrupted That's you. all right. Well, it's both of our uh, movies, That's so true. we both have to have some time here to talk. That's a good boiling down of the plot. The overall uh, tone of the movie is is generally serious, but has some really like uplifting, not uplifting, but it has comedic moments. I would say campy is actually the best way to describe it. I would actually agree. Yeah, campy. It's definitely campy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I've heard other people <laughs> talk about seeing the movie in theaters. We watched it at home uh, where they referenced some jokes that are like, actually to us, it was like gut busting <laughs> jokes. That nobody in the theaters laughed wow. at, Just, not because they weren't funny, but because they didn't understand the camp mm-hmm. <laughs> that was that mm-hmm. was being had. So if you have an eye for that kind of thing and you like camp, there's a lot to really enjoy in the movie. Also, just a really engaging story yes. about trauma and childhood and relationships that is worth a watch. Yeah, I one thing that this movie did exceptionally well, in my opinion, as just a straight drama. Like, there's not a whole lot plot-wise that happens in this movie. It's it's really just conversations between people. But Todd Haynes does such a good job of creating every moment of this movie, you're asking questions. It, like, you, you, you want to know more about this relationship and what their dynamic looks like. You want to know about more about each of these people and what their backstory is and how they got to where they're at right now. You want to know more about every single plot line like every thread that gets sewn you want to like see that to its completion because you have to know like where this is going and where the people are going to end up and so i like even though it's it's just a drama i was on the edge of my seat pretty much the whole time it was pretty pretty much fully like encapsulating like i i I was i was totally in on this one and yeah i loved it yeah the writing is very good in a way that keeps you wanting to know more they don't give you all of the information immediately and you kind of, it, it, it almost has some air of like a mystery. Mm-hmm. What are they even talking about here? And we won't say what that is because you should go see the movie that you're, yourself. Yes. It's still streaming on Netflix. You should go give it a watch. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was both of our number nines made December. So I guess I should do. Yeah, eight, go ahead. Right? Why not? Uh, so my number eight, one half of Barbenheimer. Which half? Barbie. Wow, there it is. Brought to you by filmmaker Greta Gerwig, also in writing partnership with the man Noah Baumbach. Acting in this film is Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, and America Ferreira. Among more, there's a a really big cast of players here, but those are the three who I would consider leads. 
we all know about Barbie, right? It was the biggest phenomenon, at least half of the biggest phenomenon, uh, arguably like the more impactful among our generation as far as like the cultural mainstream yes. goes between uh, them and, and Oppenheimer. Although I wish I would have gotten some box office numbers. I want to say that Oppenheimer actually did better. There were more people went and saw Oppenheimer um, just from a box office perspective. Is that true? I, I don't want to say for sure. True. If you want to look it up while I'm talking about it more, that would be fine. Absolutely. But Barbie is this kind of pseudo comedy and perspective on capitalism and feminism and all these, these heady ideas boxed into like a very marketable comedic package that everybody wanted to go see because it was all over social media. Uh, it was on our social media. We went dressed up as both Oppenheimer and Barbie characters to go see the movie. That was the last time we recorded an episode together. Was it really? I. Yeah, July twenty well, seventh. Banger. Banger. And the uh, and the run that we yes. had there for a little while. Um, the movie is, in my opinion, impeccable at many many parts. Genuinely terrible <laughs> at, <laughs> at others. Which is really tough for, for me to talk about. Like, I'm so sad by that. Yeah. Because you I, don't even have to here if you don't want to too much because it's a great movie. It, it is a great movie. I, I, it just, it has to be said that, like, there's producer influence on this movie that made some parts genuinely awful. And, like, as a huge fan of Greta, uh, just ripped my heart out <laughs> that she didn't have, like, full creative control over the movie because you, you could, could feel her toes getting stepped on a little bit. You could feel every part of where she had full influence over this movie just shined and soared above everything else. And then there were those moments that Mattel had their hands in that everybody else, every, like, film critic that I've, I've heard of talk about this movie was very clear to everybody else. This just did not sit right with me. Uh, and so, unfortunately, it, like, it, even though it is at eight, like, it still is, like, done very well mm -hmm. in my list. It had this, like, per, uh, potential to be at this upper echelon for me that I fear that it's just not really ever going to get into. Like, at the moment after, right, seeing the movie, I was really excited, like, I wanted to see it again. And as the, the time has gone past and I've thought about those flaws more and more, the less I feel that I want to come back and revisit mm -hmm. it. I'm I'm sure at some point I'm going to, but... Like there is kind of a, and I'm going to definitely talk about this with other movies. There's kind of a, a box where I keep movies that are very, very special to me that I felt like Barbie could have been in. And it's just not going to end mm -hmm. up getting there for me, but still a great movie yes. that I, I really enjoyed. Yeah. I, I loved this movie as well. It's one of my honorable mentions. I have a feeling all of my criticisms of this movie are exactly the same as Brett's, but I think they may have just done a little bit more negatively for me than, than it did for Brett. Which is not to say that it ruined my experience. I still love this movie. It's in my top 20 of the year. But yeah, Greta Gerwig absolutely shines. This movie honestly completely shocked me. Like, I had a lot of fear going into it that it would all just feel like a big Mattel ad. And it has those moments. But at the end of the day, like, this, this is a movie with a real heartbeat that, like, really captures something about the rate, specifically femininity, but it often points the relationship between femininity and masculinity. Like it, it, it really feels like it, it has its finger on the heartbeat of sort of like what culture is about right now. And I was not really expecting that at all. I cried a lot in the movie theater the day that we saw Barbie and Oppenheimer several times in both. Um, and I was not expecting that. Bryce um, is a multi-film crier or multi-moment single film crier. Yes, I will cry. Genuinely, in I find times impressive. <laughs> um, yeah, this 
this uh, this movie. I look forward to probably watching it again when it gets its Oscar nominations because I'll want to catch back up. But yeah, I, I I love this movie. Very very entertaining. Everyone's seen it already. It, it's almost no point in us recommending it. But yeah, this is where we have Barbie. In case you guys were wondering, but it is streaming on Max. Streaming exclusively, on Max. I believe. If you did want to see it, haven't gotten to it yet. Also, I just have a final note. Greta is a god amongst men. That's all. I can't wait. I truly cannot wait for her uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe adaptation. I is she just wait. doing the first one? No, she's she doing has, Narnia. Uh, she has, I believe, a contract for three movies. That's very exciting. At least. like It's, it's definitely multiple. That's very exciting. Yeah, moving on. My number eight. This was another like pretty big surprise for me this year. That is... Sofia Coppola's Priscilla. Again, this was like one of the biggest surprises for me this year, especially after Elvis last year was one of my least favorite movies of the year. Um, I have absolutely no relationship to Elvis or this story. I'm not really an Elvis fan. I I like the hits, of course, but I I have never seen any of his movies. I don't really care about the, the figure that is Elvis. And then last year we got the terrible Elvis movie. Um, and it, really soured my taste towards all things in this vein. But uh, when I saw Priscilla was coming out and Sofia Coppola was behind it, I was hesitant but excited. And I would say it absolutely exceeded all of my expectations. This movie follows Kaylee Spaney as Priscilla Presley, the wife of Elvis Presley, uh, who is played by Jacob Elordi. Um, And it just follows throughout their life and their relationship up until the time of their divorce. This movie did a lot for me. It was truly like the polar opposite to Elvis last year's maximalism. Uh, Everything here is like understated. It's all under the surface. It never really hits you over the head with anything that it's trying to say, which is like, honestly, Sofia Coppola's like gift. Like that is what she is so good at doing. All of her movies that I've seen are, are very understated and um, kind of, kind of hit at this weird part of your emotions that, aren't usually accessed by film. At least that's my experience. She does an excellent job making you feel everything that Kaylee Spaney's Priscilla character is feeling. Like, you feel just as drawn to Jacob Elordi's Elvis as she does. Like, you get why she would become totally wrapped up in who he is as a person, and you get why she would throw her whole life away as, like, a 17-year-old. And you get why, even throughout their tumultuous relationship, why she holds on to him. Truly, like, this movie had some of my favorite production design of the year. There's a lot of care put into every single frame of this movie. And the biggest thing for me, like, it's it's clearly just so empathetic for its titular figure in Priscilla. Like, it's clear to me that Sofia Coppola was, like, emotionally impacted by the book that this is based on and by the real Priscilla Presley story. Who and, was pretty heavily involved in the yes, work. yes. Here. And she taps into something here, again, like Barbie, where it really feels like it understands the way that, less so the world, but more so like relationships work and power dynamics in relationships, especially between men and women, often work. And I unfortunately saw a lot of threads of past relationships that I've had in this movie, and I was really impacted by it. Were you um, Elvis in those situations? I was, yes, unfortunately. <laughs> were you, were I don't you, mean to be. Were you sitting up in bed reading like ancient religious texts? <laughs> yes, just like that. I was I was uh forcing beautiful women to pray in circles around me while my wife watched in in pain. 
Um, My child bride. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All of these things are real, real things that happened to both me and Elvis Presley. But no, I, it, this, this movie, like I said, it, I was, I was shocked by how much I liked it. I really didn't think that I would like it as much as I ended up liking it. Yeah, if it sounds at all like something that you would enjoy, I highly recommend it. Awesome. Uh, yeah, we saw Priscilla together. I wouldn't say that it quite hit home for me the same way that it did for Bryce. I'm actually pretty surprised that it got so far up that's fair. your list, but yeah. I'm glad that it did, so we have a little bit of diversity between our lists here. But yeah, that's awesome. Uh, definitely, you know, I liked whenever Jacob Elordi got into that excavator and then tore down a house. <laughs> that rocked. I'm like fully on the Jacob Elordi train this year. I knew of him. I had seen him in, uh, he was like a background character in Deep Waters, which was not a very successful movie that I saw last year. But I, I was like, oh, he's like doing something here that I like. Um, but after Priscilla and Saltburn this year, I'm like, oh, I get it. Like this guy rocks. This is my first delve into Jacob Elordi. I literally, I, mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. I did not know who this person was before I saw Priscilla. Oh, but, really? Interesting. Yeah, okay. But I, I, it's funny. Like the second that, it's one of those things where like, you hear something for the first time and suddenly you see it everywhere because your mind is on it now. Mm-hmm. I, the second that I saw Priscilla, it was like every single like men's fashion thing that I saw uh, on Instagram Jacob was Jacob Elordi and Timothy Chalamet. Yep. <laughs> uh, and I'm not mad about it. He's, I don't know anything about the person, but uh, he's, he, he's a good actor. Like I, I can't deny that. He's a, a very attractive, very man. pretty, very pretty very guy to look pretty. at. Can't lie. All right, uh, number seven for Brett is Poor Things. Yorgos Lanthimos' Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, Willem Dafoe, and Rami Youssef. Uh, I bring up Rami Youssef because I was really excited to talk about him. I don't know, Bryce, if you know anything about Rami Youssef, but he's somebody that I followed for a while because uh, I, I think during 2020 when we were all locked down, mm-hmm. um, I watched a lot of uh, TV with uh, one of our other mutual friends. And Rami was one of the shows that he watched. It was Rami's like written, directed show. Have you ever seen it before? Are you like no? I'm not all? really familiar with him at all. It is the show is excellent. Okay. Um, and I would really highly recommend that. And so like as soon as it, it was so like, it, it was so captivating to me the work that he did on his own show that like I followed him personally for a while, and then I saw that he was in this movie that I was really excited about. So it was just such a from a personal perspective. That's awesome. Very much a delight to see him on screen as well as one of my favorite actors of all time, Willem Dafoe. And uh, Emma Stone, frankly, is way up there for me, too. Um, they're all amazing, give great performances in the movie. It's hard to sum up It's hard to sum up what Poor Things actually is because it falls under a lot of categories. Um, it's a feminist film, science fiction, it's comedic. It, it follows a lot of motifs of different genres. Ultimately, I would say that it's a comedy because I laughed more than anything else Very in the movie, movie. and yeah. maybe laughed more than just about any other movie I've been in all year. It is seriously hilarious at some times. And um, like I said, from a performance perspective, Emma Stone and Mark Ruffalo, they're the two leads of the movie mm-hmm. and they just absolutely kill it. I've never seen Mark Ruffalo. Weird performances. Very weird performances. I've never seen Mark Ruffalo be like that funny before. I've, yes. I don't know. There might be like, a hole in my Mark Ruffalo experiences. I don't know if he's ever done something so comedic, but the thing that really stuck out with me was like physical comedy in a way that I've not seen in a movie in years. Like I I can't even really think of something that's comparable, which is something that you find uh, like a lot in this movie. It is completely unique. It's the first Yorgos Lanthimos movie that I've seen. I know that a lot of people are a big fan of the lobster. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and I know that he the guy just makes weird movies, right? Uh, and this is not an exception. It's very strange, but it is such an endearing movie that was really funny to me all the way through. Has a, a message that is important to hear. It's not anything that like I think hasn't been said before. Like it is very much like women powerful good, men can be stupid and bad. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, it, but it's not. It like, feels more complex than that, it, though. It, it definitely feels more complex than that, and it's not like it's not ever so uh, unself-aware of what the movie actually mm-hmm. is. Like it knows that it's very simple and it's funny, but has something important to say. It just all around was just like very competent, very solid movie that uh, is definitely going to stick with me for a while. I could see it even moving its way further up yeah. my list in in later years. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed this movie. It's one of my honorable mentions. I. Did not have a huge relationship to Yorgos Lanthimos. I had seen The Lobster, but it was one of the first movies I watched in like 2016, 2017 when I was first getting into into movies. Um, and I think, frankly, it went over my head. And I've been waiting to do like a deep dive um, into all of his movies because I think stylistically, I, I really like him. I loved Poor Things. It was very funny. It, it did a really good job of contrasting like some of the most beautiful filmmaking some of the funniest lines on one hand over here and then on this hand some of the most like disgusting like thematically like not just disgusting visually like there's some gore in this movie but like disgusting morally things in this movie that that kind of turn your stomach um and it's a really really cool contrast i loved all the performances i definitely think i want to see this again um to like gauge it a little bit more because there was just a lot going on, and it's a very strange movie. Well said. I agree with all of it. On my number seven, we have the other half of Barbenheimer, Oppenheimer. I, I frankly wanted this movie to be a little bit higher on my list, but I, I did have some some issues uh, with it, which were not, not glaring in any way, even like the, the parts of this movie that I didn't find as, as successful, um, I still think were very good. And I think that speaks to how much I love the next six movies on my list um, because I I truly did love Oppenheimer. It impacted me very emotionally. If you don't know, uh, if somehow you missed it, this is Christopher Nolan's newest smash hit. All of his movies make money. This one was no exception. It was the third highest grossing movie this year behind Super Mario Brothers at two and Barbie at one. I know that. That's so funny. Barbie did outgross it, but yeah. Um, Oppenheimer. What are the numbers there? How close is the margin? Uh, it's pretty substantial. Do you want worldwide or domestic? Give me both. Uh, worldwide, Barbie made one point four billion, uh, six hundred thirty-six million. Oppenheimer made nine hundred fifty-two million. So it didn't quite crack the billion worldwide, and then three hundred twenty-six million domestic. I actually, I had heard that it did go over a billion or at least I, maybe I was thinking about they thought that it was on track mm-hmm. for going over a billion I, I'm pretty surprised to hear that it didn't but it's always hard insightful. to gauge the success of movies anymore with streaming deals and everything Fair. like it, it's it's impossible to quantify like how many people are actually seeing movies and and how much money that is making for the people that made it but mm-hmm. yeah Oppenheimer everyone saw it for the most part um, but in retrospect, is... I, I can say like with a hundred percent certainty, like even though there's like a meme here and there mm-hmm. about Oppenheimer that you still see, like Barbie's still the dominant force between the two 
in terms of like pushing conversation about movie like they were both together and then i think that it very clearly separated where you know a month or two down the line after they were released like uh, barbie really still like it kept that momentum in a way that oppenheimer couldn't quite and and frankly the two worked off of each other like the the two would not have been so successful if it weren't for their like weird polarity that drew everyone into let's make barbenheimer a thing let's make this weekend an event i i absolutely loved going to see these movies in costume and seeing how packed the theater was yeah. was everyone was there for one of those two movies and it was awesome it, it was just really cool seeing like film being at the center of film conversation and just popular conversation again um so that was awesome i uh, was telling people that it was my super bowl and yeah. then I, I, I was doing that. I told, I said that like two or three times. And then I remembered like I'm a very big football fan and realized that I also have my your own Super Bowl. Super Bowl is your so, Super Bowl. Yeah, my Super Bowl too. Yeah. The, this was a, a great weekend for us. I, I did find Oppenheimer a little bit more successful as a movie. I did enjoy it a little bit more, which is not to say I think one is great and one's not. I think they're both awesome. But if somehow you don't know, Oppenheimer is all about J. Robert Oppenheimer's role in the de- development of the first atomic bomb during World War II. Uh, it stars a ridiculous cast of people, including, all right, deep breath, Killian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Florence Pugh, and literally like so many more people that just kind of show up and have maybe 10 minutes of on-screen time, maybe just a few lines, but every person kills it. I don't really know what I was expecting from this movie, but it wasn't this. Uh, I'm very familiar with Nolan's movies now. I already was. He already was one of my favorite directors because he was my dad's favorite director, and I kind of just grew up with a familiarity to his movies. And before Oppenheimer came out, and I went, I went back and watched all of the movies that I had missed. And I have a ranking of his movies on my letterbox again, if you want to check those out. But if there's one thing that... um that he's known for doing in his movies, it is putting spectacle above plot, above characters. Um, And while I still feel like you could maybe levy that criticism at this movie, I I think it was far more concerned with the message of the movie and the character being Oppenheimer at the center of the movie and the torment and the pain and the confusion and the drive and the like passion and the intelligence that this guy feels like I I truly did not expect him to write this character as as fleshed out and as complex and as deep as he did a lot of that I think falls on Killian Murphy's performance which I think is exceptional I hope it it gets uh, recognition at the Oscars because I think it deserves it Robert Downey Jr., also in this movie, as uh, a secondary character, is exceptional. He kind of carries the energy of the entire back half of the movie, and he is wonderful. Yeah, and, and that being said, like even though even though it's less concerned with the spectacle than a lot of Nolan's movies, it certainly still delivers. Brett and I got a chance to see this in IMAX with the Dolby surround sound, and it was amazing. Totally blew me out of my seat. There were some incredible visuals. The specifically the 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 run up to the trinity test the first explosion and then sort of the fallout emotionally of that that like hour run in the movie is probably my favorite hour of any movie this year um i thought it was all pretty exceptional it's it's so grand it covers a ton thematically morally personally 
and it never feels like it undersells any of it. Um, like it, it really shoots for the stars with everything. It's got like a three hour runtime. Like it, it takes big swings and I truly feel like it's successful in all of them, which I did not expect from Christopher Nolan. So yeah, this movie really worked for me. It deserved its three hour runtime. I cried literally like three times in this movie. What the hell is that? Um, yeah, that, I loved it. That's my, my number seven of the year. I want to point out that 2023 from personal perspective was one of the better years, if not the best year that I can remember in recent memory for biopics, which normally for me, like snooze fest, I could not care less about biopics. Mm -hmm. Like if I want to know more about this person, I will read a book. That's fine. Like tell me like an exceptional story that I don't know. Like one of the criticisms with even making this a story in the first place is like, well, we know what happens, right? We know the end, so all the tension building that's going yes. to be uh, a part of the, the plot is kind of a non-factor. Yes. Um, but this movie, uh, among with others, just maybe changed my perspective a little bit mm -hmm. on the biopic. Uh, they were uh, there were a lot of really good ones this year. Three in my top 15. Awesome. Four in my, top, crazy. Four in my top 20. Wow. That uh, was not something that I expected. I mean, truly, like every time that I would go into one, e Oppenheimer included, I did not expect to enjoy it that much because historically I just haven't. Yes. And so I was happy to get, you know, something a little bit more diverse in my, you know, my Rolodex here of what I what I like. And, Very good. Uh, yeah, biopics came through for me this year. Yeah, and th I mean, this movie does a good job of not necessarily feeling that much like a biopic. Like, it is fully focused around Oppenheimer, but yeah. it is such a grand story. It Kind of, I, I'm assuming Napoleon will not be on your list this year. Maybe. Who knows? I won't spoil it. I didn't feel Napoleon was very successful, but it was this... It was another huge, like, sprawling biopic. But what separated the two is I felt like with Napoleon, it was getting stretched so thin and it just couldn't quite hold on anymore. Like, a lot of the threads don't quite work. It it loses a lot of the, the heartbeat of the movie with the, the central figures that Napoleon presents. But I didn't feel any of that with Oppenheimer. I felt like every character... Um, even the women were just as fleshed out as they needed to be. The women in this movie aren't written exceptionally. That's not necessarily what, what Nolan's known for, but they're not necessarily the point of the movie, someone and so it works. Someone yeah. say he's known for not doing it well. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, the seven for me is, is Oppenheimer. Number Loved six. Four. Oh, and that, sorry, that's available to rent wherever. I, I, I'm not sure where it's going to be available, but you can rent it now on Prime and Apple TV. Sorry, Brett, go ahead right. with your number six. Uh, one more with those, and I'm gonna walk off the set. I'm I'm done. Oh dear! You don't you interrupt <laughs> me again. Won't happen. Um, number six for me is the Iron Claw. Number six for me is the Iron oh, Claw. Wow, we should hold hands after this. So we oh, can hold hands now. Oh, so nice. Uh, Sean Durkin's feel good to the most heart wrenching you've ever felt in a movie family drama from uh, produced by A24. Stars Zac Efron, White Boy of the Month, Jeremy Allen White, Harris Dickinson, and some more. Uh, it's a movie that's still in theaters. Bryce and I just saw it earlier this week. I'm actually, I've been on a run. Both of us have been on a run this week because uh, I'm off work for like 12 days. I'm off work for months. <laughs> for an un unknown amount of time where we've just both been able to marathon in our AMC and the uh, we didn't get to see, frankly, a lot of really good movies. The Iron Claw was one of them, in my opinion. This is a story about family, 
masculinity, success, what it means to have it, the consequences of pushing, you know, toxic masculinity, fatherhood, brotherhood. It generally centers around family, but there are a lot of complex themes here that are uh, very relatable in some ways, very re- not relatable in others, just kind of the the mass scale of this movie. It is about uh, wrestlers, uh, a family, specifically the Von Eriks, who were very notable during their time in the world of wrestling. I don't in think, the 80s. In the 80s. I don't think that you have any kind of like special relationship with wrestling. I, I don't either. That was one of the things that I wrote down. I was like, I can this was another huge shock for me that I like this movie so much. I have zero relationship with professional wrestling. In fact, I, I hated it most of my childhood because I was like, it's fake. Why don't, why do people like it? It's fake. I, I went most of my life not realizing, Oh, everyone knows it's fake. It's still just fun. But yeah, I have no relationship to wrestling at all. And so this coming in at six for me is like a huge shock, which about the like, fakeness of it is something that I'm happy to say was addressed very well in the mm-hmm. movie as well. Mm-hmm. There is a uh, a scene that kind of goes over the general line of thinking about wrestling from people who are non-wrestling fans, like the kind of thing that I've thought about in the past and the kind of things my, you know, my friends and family have had conversations with them about. It does a really good job of making you very invested. The one thing that I remembered about the Iron Claw is that for its runtime, which I, I want to say is like two and a half hours, mm-hmm. something along those lines. It was probably the movie that I could not feel myself pulling away the most where um, there's a couple of other movies this year, even ones that I liked enough to be like in my honorable mentions that are, uh, you know, comparable runtimes. And I would feel myself like gripping for my phone in the middle of the movie theater because I wasn't quite invested enough. The Iron Claw is not that at every single moment of the movie I felt was was very gripping. Yes. even from like the uh, parts earlier on the in the movie that are a lot more lighthearted and fun and happy, I loved seeing those. And then uh, it kind of as you work farther down the movie, uh, there are parts of it that become uh, very tragic and hard to watch. And I couldn't stop watching those for you know, the opposite reasons yes. because I wanted to see what what this storyline was going to be and how this was going to play out. Um, it's a very it's a very ubiquitous story in the wrestling community as I understand it, but it's not one that I was familiar with. I assume you weren't either, but it's one that is certainly going to stick with me. Uh, It's an important story that needs to be told. I'm surprised it it hasn't had any kind of cinematic representation up until this point, but I've heard from people who are really big wrestling fans say that this is like the best wrestling movie that's ever been made. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Our theater was full of wrestling fans just based on the conversations that we were hearing in and out of the theater. So that was really cute. Hopefully a lot of movie fans get a chance to check this one out because I, I truly think that it's like very, very exceptional. Um, like Brett said, it just like, it totally wraps you up in it in its arms. Like you, you can't really like pull your mind away from it in a very strange way because this movie is not fun. I I was, I had no idea what to expect. I didn't know what this movie was about. I just knew it starred Zac Efron looking ridiculous. Uh, and it was about WWE or... It's not, but what I thought was WWE, which is inherently a little bit silly and goofy. Um, and that's honestly kind of what I was expecting from this movie. And it is the opposite of that. There's very few moments of levity in this in this film. It kind of just keeps pounding home how tough these people's lives were without getting into any spoilers. But like this movie is about tragedy and repeated tragedy and what that does to a person who is 
grown up in an environment where they are not allowed to express emotion or express pain or express anything other than the stereotypically masculine traits of strength and stoicism and bravery. And these are things that Brett and I are both very passionate about. I, I think this could become a core text for masculinity or specifically like the effect of masculinity in film. I, off the top of my head, cannot think of a movie that I think is more successful at, at showing the negative repercussions of masculinity. It's, it's certainly a trope that comes up a lot, but that is like at the core of what this movie is. And I think it was very, very effectful. Um, it affected me emotionally. I've thought about it pretty much every day since I've seen it. It looks great, which I think also is sort of what helps along with just the gripping story with the gripping writing. It looks awesome and every frame of this movie is like appealing and pleasant to look at. And it's it's creative too. Like it doesn't feel like they're just pointing and shooting with a cool filter on. Like it, it feels like with the production design that there is intentionality between or with every single thing in the frame. And so from that perspective, it, it's it's excellent. The performances are all really good. This is without a doubt the best Zac Efron performance, in my opinion. Not only is, is it a great like emotional role that I did not know that he had in him, it's also just an incredible physical performance. I mean, look at the poster for this movie. He is massive, and he, he uses his size and he uses his strength uh, to great effect in this movie. He's just such a domineering presence, and you you can feel why it's so hard for him as this huge, strong, domineering person to feel all of this pain and and to be pulled back so much and to be weakened so much. It, it's it's really effective. Um, I often looked at the screen and could not even fathom the way that a human could look like that, especially yeah. that guy. You know, that I remembered in like middle school who was playing basketball on TV and singing songs, yep. that, that skinny, skinny boy. It was an unbelievable <laughs> way that this man looked. And like every lead in this movie, movie is huge. Like it's, it's also ridiculous how big all of the other guys got. But like some of them had less of a transformation than others. Zach Efron just like blew up, man. It looks like somebody put like a tube of air in the guy and just like started pumping him yeah it, it's unreal <laughs> there's there's some comedy in this movie that was unintentional in that there's another character in this movie that is shown using performance enhancing drugs needle injected steroids in order to get ahead and we never see that from zach efron's character which is just so funny to me because the implication that he looks that way without any kind of performance enhancing drug is ridiculous but uh i'm also glad yeah, that it you, works i'm glad that you brought up the other wrestling fans that we saw in the movie theater because i almost forgot about that it was so funny <laughs> there's a moment where um you kind of see zach efron's physique for the first time and it's just like like rolls of just mass on this man's body it's when he's getting out of bed yeah and every time that like there's a couple of scenes like back and forth where you see like the bodies of of each of these leads that are just jacked and every single time without fail that one of them would get presented the guy next to me went oh <laughs> and, and him and his buddy were like clearly talking back and forth during the movie about like oh yeah like when this happened and when this happened because they knew the story yes. uh and then even funnier was when there was a like a discus scene like the olympic sport discus and i think that he wasn't aware that that was gonna be a part of the movie and it happened on screen and he went 
discus. <laughs> oh, discus. I I'm not doing it justice, but like internally, I lost my mind. It was yes. so funny. We had a great time at this uh, at this movie, Something despite Bryce- it being horrible something bryce and i said over and over again was just like dudes rock and we got a lot of like dudes rock definitely a dudes rock movie yeah Yeah. i guess that leaves me for my five your number five yep well that would be oppenheimer there it Uh, is i it was killing me not to get to talk about it it's the first time i think i've had a movie ahead of yours that you talked about want to get into it but uh, we won't stick on it long because we obviously well the only thing that i was holding back from saying that i wanted to talk about on uh, my portion of talking about Oppenheimer is the final act of the movie uh, where it becomes a like courtroom drama is like the most controversial part because tonally it's like a completely different movie than mm-hmm. the rest of the movie. Very polarizing from what I've heard from critics. Uh, I loved it. I thought that it was like genuinely one of the better parts of the movie. There was so much to like chew on what was happening um, and I found it fascinating just like this whole kind of back room, you know, back and forth politics mm-hmm. of of this like phenomenon. It's like the one part of this whole story that I felt like I really didn't know at all. That's I, a great point. I was not aware of any of this and um, got to really enjoy like, oh, my God, like what's going to happen next? How is this going to have a play on the rest of the story? And how is this uh, going to piece together to like fit a full narrative? I didn't even really know what happened to the man, J. Robert Oppenheimer. Other than that he made the bomb. Other than that he made the bomb. Like, yeah. it, it gets into the aftermath of, like, how these were, how these moments were consequential on his own, like, life from, mm-hmm. a, like, even, like, a litigation standpoint. Yeah. I thought that it was all fascinating. I thought that it was, like, expertly done by Chris Nolan. Uh, and, frankly, just gets too much hate, in my opinion. It's ridiculous that people get so upset about how this was part of the movie because it is, like, an important part of the narrative that I think needs to be said. And I just want people to like appreciate how expertly it was actually done rather than being upset that like it maybe doesn't feel like it quite fits in the movie yeah. for them. Like I understand where people come from. I wish you'd like see a little bit past that and get some more appreciation for like the work that this does. Yeah. In, in some ways I feel like not, I mean it is Oppenheimer would not have had even remotely the amount of success that it had with, or had it not been for Barbie, but Comparing the two, I also think has kind of hurt Oppenheimer a little bit because Barbie is so pop. It's so easy to to sit down and enjoy for anyone. You compare that to the the three plus hour epic, sprawling, sometimes rather. I was going to say slow paced, but the, the movie is not really slow paced. But this this huge story, where maybe. It asks a little bit more of its audience in terms of like how much effort you have to put in to follow along. Comparing that to Barbie, I think has hurt its its image a little bit, just because there are so many people that saw this movie. Maybe just because they were going to see both, and it's like you you compare it, and it's like this over here is so easy and fun to watch, and this over here can maybe drag a little bit. I think on its own though, and I I've yet to watch it, not in the theaters, not right. Did we watch it before Barbie? We watched it before Barbie, yes. Yeah, not having seen it right before Barbie. So it's entirely possible my my opinion on this changes. The thing that Brett was mentioning, the whole latter half of the movie, I still loved. I agree wholeheartedly. It was it was still very exceptionally done. It, he does a good job of making sure that there is pace and there's energy to every single conversation in this movie. I just found if you're splitting this movie up into two main acts, like you have before the atom bomb going off and then after, I found the the 
former half a little bit more compelling, a little bit more exciting, a little bit more interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was my seventh favorite movie of the year. Without a doubt, I, th- I think, I think it, it deserves to be there for you. I think it's a great movie. And I'm glad to see that you liked it even more than I did. I believe that brings you to your number five, sir. All righty. My number five is a movie that hopefully people take this recommendation and check it out. Hopefully you take this recommendation and check it out because you have not seen it either. Uh, this is the newest movie from director Daniel Goldhaber. Uh, the director of Cam. This is How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Mm, yeah, ever since we talked about this initially, I've been really wanting to go see it. Yeah, so I, I had no familiarity with this director. I did not see Cam, even though that's uh, what he's kind of known for. I think that's a horror movie. I'm honestly not even sure. But I had no idea what to expect from this movie. I just saw that somebody had it in their top five, and I was like, yeah, sure, I'll check that out. I've got some time. Not kidding, I thought this was a documentary for the first 20 minutes of the movie because it's it's almost shot in that way. Like, this feels very, very visceral. It feels very real. It does not feel like anyone is acting in this movie, which is especially impressive because none of them are, are actors that I have any level of familiarity with. Um, there's a whole cast of people in this movie that I have never seen before, which I actually think helps. Again, it really makes it feel like this is a real movie. I try to stay off of my phone a, a ton when I'm watching movies at home because I want to stay engaged. But I, I had to pull, like, I had to pause it 20 minutes in to be like, is this real? Because I was not sure. It's not. Knocked my socks off, though. How to Blow Up a Pipeline follows a group of people from all walks of life uh, as they attempt to commit an act of eco terrorism. Let's go. It's basically just a heist movie. If you've seen heist movies before, like Ocean's Eleven, it's a lot like that. The whole movie from start to finish is the planning and execution of this big thing, except rather than a bank robbery, it's an act of eco-terrorism. They're blowing up a pipeline. That is not a spoiler, though. The tension, it is in the title. It is in the title. The tension in this movie is off the charts. It's what makes this movie worth watching. I have not seen many movies in my entire life that are as thrilling as this movie. It's got some, frankly, really creative writing. The The dialogue is not at the forefront of this movie. It's not the point. But it does a really good job of piecing together all of these individuals' lives and showing you, like, like I mentioned, all these people are from different walks of life. But it shows, like, how each person might get driven to the extreme. Like, past the point of just, like, I'm going to donate money to save the environment. I'm going to recycle. But to commit an act of terrorism, it, it shows through these like tiny little snippets of dialogue how these people, or who these people are and how they, they got there. It's, it's very, very impressive. There's some awesome camera work in this movie. I think largely the camera work, a lot of it's on, on film on hand camera. Um, I think a lot of that is the reason why this movie is as tense as it is. It makes every single scene like thrilling because you are you are in there with these people you are in this dangerous situation that that they are in and and you are just as unsure about the result of of every action of this movie as the people in it are and i found that really really compelling it's one of the most intense movies i've seen probably in my whole life it had my shit puckered the entire length of the the movie that's a crazy way to say that but (laughs) go off um, but yeah, if, if you like action movies at all, if you like thrilling movies, if you like sus- suspenseful movies at all, I highly, highly recommend How to Blow Up a Pipeline. 
probably went under a lot of people's radars. I don't expect it to get any nominations this year because it's a genre movie. So yeah, if if you get a chance, check it out. It's streaming on Hulu for free as long as you have Hulu. Highly recommend How to Blow Up a Pipeline, yeah. my number five of the year. I'm really excited to see it at some point, especially like in the last couple of years. I've, I feel like a lot of people have gone through a little bit of a transformation uh, mentally in like headspace where uh, politics lies in kind of the uh, importance of your life especially because we live in times where like information is as accessible as possible in a lot of ways for us as compared to how it ever has been before. And maybe this is just me getting older as opposed to like the general landscape of politics, but it it feels that what is happening uh, on a global scale or on a domestic political scale has more of a tangible impact on our own individual lives. When you think about the economy uh, COVID's a great example, you know, climate extremism. It's all very relevant to our lives now, you know, whether we like it or not. And so I I like to know that film as a medium has some kind of impact on that climate uh, because it's an important art form. It's an important art form. It's one that deserves respect. It's yes. one that should be considered to be important and, and have any kind of real impact. I don't know that uh, how to blow up a pipeline is going to be one that you know people are going to remember for years down the road. But I like to imagine that it's able to kind of set a framework for you know polit- uh, political activism and and how that could be successful in the film industry as as a topic, um, and to be like actually impactful in like a real world sense. Like art is the center of culture, generally speaking. And uh, in the last couple of years, like I have felt film becoming more and more important like it it has gone through like a it has gone through a time of not being quite at the forefront uh and i have felt that like in 23 in 2023 specifically like i i know that more people are talking about movies than they have in in recent times and i'd like to think that that kind of sets the pace for where it can sit in the zeitgeist yes uh and so i i'm really hopeful it like in that regard for what it could be and i'm really excited to see how to blow up a pipeline later on a a lot of people were talking this year about uh leave the world behind netflix's newest movie it came out or not newest movie but it was a hit netflix movie that came out just several weeks ago and it's about i would say adjacent topics in terms of like apocalyptic end of the world anxiety type ideas if you were interested at all in that, I would urge you to watch How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Brett, you mentioned something about like how things are starting to feel almost smaller scale with the economy. Like You can actually feel now the repercussions of certain things that are happening. And that's really what this movie is about. Like It does such... I didn't even mention like all of these characters I, I found myself like very emotionally invested in because it does such a good job of showing like how these things that are completely outside of our control, which if you didn't know this, the environment changing is largely outside of an individual's control, how that loss of control has negatively affected so many people. And I found myself like pretty, pretty emotional in, in my connection to these characters. And I'll just be honest, this movie low-key promotes eco-terrorism I'm not going to sit here and do that, but 
I will say the world is dying and drastic action needs to happen uh, if our children are going to have a world to live in. So yeah, this movie is as prescient, in my opinion, as any movie can be this year. It is without a doubt, in my opinion, the most important subject matter that a movie could be about that people could get on board with. And so, yeah, I, I've spoken a lot about this. Brett, you managed to speak a good bit about it without seeing it. So we're going to move on. All because but of yeah, the, the great insights this. that you've given me about the movie. Thank you, I thank you. Couldn't thank do it without you. Brett, what is your number four of the year? In lighter topics, we're getting into some like good stuff. Like this, this part of the list I'm very excited to talk about because like truly any of the movies that I'm talking about from this point forward could have been my number one genuinely. Oh, I, I was actually going to ask that when we got to your number one. Like if you had a clear one. Yeah, it, it well, there was like some shifting that happened around. Literally any one of these ones could have taken that spot. Like I feel that mm. viscerally about these movies. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Let's is go. Movie. That's a fist bump. We did a whole podcast episode about this whenever it came out. But this is the one that I was saying how whenever I got to making the list, it really struck me when I started thinking about the movie, like how important this one actually is to me and how much I like deeply care about this movie not just because like the actual narrative of the movie is something that's good or does any one thing particularly well uh, but because it feels like this kind of renaissance in film and in animation specifically as well as like superhero as a genre uh, it, it is this reformation that is like to me so incredible to see and it's such a breath of fresh air it's uh, from Joaquin, sorry, I'm going to mess this up. Joaquin Dos Santos, Justin K. Thompson, and Kemp Powers. Uh, Triple Threat directed this movie. It includes performances by Shamik Moore, Shamik Moore, Haley Steinfeld, Oscar Isaac, Jake Johnson of uh, New Girl fame. We love Jake Johnson and many more. It's got a crazy stacked cast that I could not even dream about getting all the way into. I have dreamt about it. <laughs> Some people, they have a bigger imagination than I can. I can never <laughs> even think about it. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is one of the most visually stunning movies that I've ever seen. The animation is, in my opinion, especially when it comes to 2D drawn animation, is like bar none. I've never seen anything like it before. Yes. It is completely unique in its art style. And it is a continuation of a coming-of-age story that, in my mind, also is exceptional. So this is the second movie in the uh, what we know is to be a trilogy in the Spider-Man series, following Miles Morales, his uh, his take on Spider-Man. Uh, and it, to me, is, is just beyond uh, excellent when it comes to writing and and the execution of a film uh, unfortunately as we know that like there's been some discourse about like uh working ethics on uh the animation specifically of this movie like we know that the animators were dro- driven really really hard to make this complete product and th- to me it's like worth it's a, it's a conversation that like deserves its own time like it's not something yeah. that i think we're yeah. really gonna get i'm into. kidding by the way <laughs> um uh with that being said it's incredible. Like, it, like I said, bar none. Um, I, I even struggled really to put it into, into words. Like, you just need to see the movie to yes. understand what I mean. Like, if you are somebody who appreciates uh, visual art, especially, like, that is going to shine through because it, it in of itself feels like uh, a masterpiece of, of visual art. It's not just about the narrative, which is also really, really good. Yes. 
visually it's it's just it it's second to none. So see it for that reason, even on its own. But I, I think anybody who hasn't already gotten to the Spider-Man series, e- even if you're not uh, a superhero fan like me and Bryce, we are not particularly like large Marvel fans or superhero recently, fans. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Especially recently. But both of us, I, I feel really, really uh, like this movie a lot. Um. And it's it's one that is going to be like I I think down the road. Like if I had children, I would you know I don't know if that's gonna be on you know on the uh, docket for me. But there's some movies that like I I know. Oh, my child has to see this yes. as like understanding what good art is and to have like a perspective on the kinds of values that I want them to kind of be in the world. Uh, I think that Across the Spider-Verse has both of those both of those characteristics in a movie. And lastly, there's like uh I, I don't think this is really a spoiler to say, especially at this point, there's a, a cliffhanger at the end of this movie that a lot of people talked about as like a point of emphasis to say like this is bad they can suck me uh, because like at any other point in like in movies, uh, even before like Marvel made things, everything episodic, this was like completely normal. Like when a movie had, or was expected to have more than one movie, like this happened all the time and nobody ever gave it any kind of thought to be honest with you. Loki, they could have put the ending of the movie after the credits and people wouldn't have had an issue. Wouldn't have been a problem. Because it's like, oh, we expect this crazy cliffhanger here. It it was a very frustrating discussion. I realized as I was like kind of coming up with some thoughts about this list, I genuinely don't know what I had to say the first time that we recorded a podcast in regards to the cliffhanger at the end of this movie. I might have been like on a very different perspective. Mm -hmm. That guy can suck me. He's an (laughs) idiot if he thinks that it's really stupid that it comes in. Like there's no reason for that like minute detail about this overall like incredible piece of work to have such like a a hanging discouragement over the overall Mm -hmm. quality Mm -hmm. of the film. That's Um, all. So I can suck you. You uh, can? Because I had... I would say, so initially in my, my first run through of my top 10 list, or I guess my top 20, I had this movie at number five and then I had it at number four. And then I eventually landed with it just outside my top 10. It was like number 11 or 12. Oh, wow. That's Um, crazy. And it was largely because of something adjacent to the cliffhanger. I have no real issues with the cliffhanger, but I, I adored every moment of this movie for the most part. If I, I I only saw it once, realistically, like I feel like if I saw it again, maybe all of my issues would go away and it would be my favorite movie of the year. Like I loved it that much, but this list changes and who knows? It's hard. It's hard. Um, my my main issue and the reason why it, it ended up not making my top 10 was I, I found, at least on my initial watch and my memory of that watch, was it felt like comparing it to like The Fellowship of the Ring, which is not the first time I've brought up Lord of the Rings on this podcast to compare another movie's quality, but from the start to the finish of that movie, and as you near the finish, you can feel these threads kind of coming to a close, and Frodo and Sam like embark on their next journey, and it's still a cliffhanger. Like you're dying to know, okay, where where are those two going? But they reach the end of their journey with the Fellowship. They reach the end of like what this movie set out to do, and I found that I didn't quite feel the same way after this movie. I felt a little bit like I had not, excuse me, seen a complete product. Now, when the next movie comes out, which I'm so excited for, my opinion might change. If I rewatch it, my opinion might change. 
But in terms of like, if there's a reason why this movie that I loved didn't make my list, that's why. But like I said, I loved it. There's so much to like about this movie. All of the voice acting is incredible. Brett, you talked a lot about how beautiful the art style is. And I think part of what makes it so awesome is it doesn't necessarily have one art style that it sticks to. This movie incorporates like so many different art styles. Like there are whole scenes in this movie that look like they were done in watercolor. Like you can feel the 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 paint dripping out of the screen. And it, it's it's really cool visually. The story is one of the more compelling superhero stories I've seen in a very long time. I like the villain of this movie a lot. I loved the first, what was it called, Into the Spider-Verse? Yeah. I loved that movie and frankly did not expect this movie to exceed that that bar that I had set, and it did. This is without a doubt like top top five superhero movies for me at this point. Um, so if, if you didn't get a chance to check it out, uh, definitely do that. It is streaming on Netflix. Streaming on Netflix. No reason to not uh, not check it out. We'll set up time for uh, that sucking later. There we are. That was your number three? Uh, that was four. That was your number four. So my number four is another movie, Brett, unfortunately, you have not seen. Uh, but that is Justine Trier's new movie out of France, Anatomy of a Fall. Uh, this is one of the few foreign movies I've gotten a chance to get my hands on. I know Brett and I both typically watch a lot more foreign movies after the turn of the new year every year because often in Pittsburgh where we're at these foreign movies don't even get releases uh, unless they get Oscar nominations and then if they get Oscar nominations then the theaters around us will start showing it but I saw this movie on enough end of year lists and saw that it was available for rent on Prime and I was like I just have to do this didn't really know what to expect I didn't know what this movie was about I was familiar with the I think it's like the 50s or 60s movie, Anatomy of a Murder. Is it related? Not really. It's it's related in that like Anatomy of a Murder is all about the the happenings around this murder and, and how it happened and the fallout. But this is adjacent. It is about a murder, supposedly. So it's a courtroom drama uh, that investigates whether or not a wife killed her husband and their blind son is the crucial witness in this death really explores a lot of themes of it, it's it's hard to explain almost like what guilt is what truth is this movie is extremely like not even complex because i think you could enjoy this with just a pretty surface level watch through it, it is very very entertaining um it's all about family love trust hurt the courtroom is like You've seen courtroom dramas before. The The really cool thing about a courtroom drama is it, it has inherently these abilities to draw out these big performances, these big speeches, and it just works well for a movie. That is not... it. This movie certainly has it. It has some of the best courtroom scenes I've ever seen, but it only really uses the, the courtroom as sort of this alternate reality where it can explore what reality is, if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm doing the, the best job I can at explaining it, but this movie is at points brutal. It's at other points beautiful and like tender and soft in the same way that a lot of our favorite movies of this year have had that contrast. The yeah. Iron Claw. Like, like the Iron Claw. Like May December, it's, it's really morally complex um, in its themes of 
guilt and making a child make big decisions like this. This movie like broke my heart and also like built it back up again all in the course of two hours. Yeah, it's it, exceptional performances all across the board. Um, one of the best child performances I've ever seen. And yeah, the, one thing that I wrote down, the, the, literally the, I was so wrapped up in this movie watching it at home, I did not write any notes down other than this movie milks filmmaking for everything that it's worth. Like every single thing that I love about filmmaking, the way that it combines every art form, this movie utilizes that. Really, really cool music all within the context of the movie in a way that I've never seen before. So like there isn't really much of a score for this movie. If you're hearing music, it is probably because a character is also hearing that same music or is also playing that same music. Um, and a lot of the music is imperfect, like imperfect songs played on a piano. But that like dissonance that that creates adds to the feeling of like confusion and moral obscurity and pain, but also like beauty that you're feeling throughout the, the runtime of this movie. It had probably my favorite use of music this year in what was also probably my favorite opening scene of this year where there's like this, I'm not going to spoil it, but there's this very happy song, this very like happy-go-lucky song contrasted with some like truly like heartbreaking things. Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely like need to watch this movie again. I just watched it for the first time a couple weeks ago and I haven't had a chance to rewatch it, but I, I am kind of struggling to like put my finger on what I loved so much about this movie, but it's exceptional. I, I highly recommend it. I can't wait to watch it again. Give me a ring when you do watch it. Yeah. I shall. I'm upset that I didn't get a chance to see it. I know that I'm going to like it a lot just based off of what I've heard from you about it. Even I think that when you were watching it at home, I think I was leaving somewhere and or coming back and you were watching it. And I remember just seeing even a few frames mm -hmm. of the movie and I was like, oh, I got I to gotta see this. I have a running like end of year I need to watch this movie mm -hmm. before, you know, we make this podcast and it's on there and I did not get a chance to see it, but I'm excited for whenever I do get to, I think it's going to be pretty exceptional. Yeah. And like I said, it's just available for rent right now, but a couple bucks, definitely worth it. So you remember we talked about earlier, the, uh, the controversies of my list and oh where they're going to be this is where they, they, they start right here. And not only is this controversial at number three, right? Uh-huh had the potential to be your number one. Certainly so I'm, could have I'm been. dying to know what this what this is. Wes Anderson's Asteroid City in the three spot. That's a Brett play. I honestly Trace. expected that to be your favorite movie this year. Yeah, it well again, it could have been. I, I loved the movie so much. I mentioned the first time that we saw it that I had purchased the screenplay of the movie because I really wanted to read just the dialogue that I felt like I, I didn't have a chance to really take in because I was like appreciating the visuals and trying to get a grasp of like the overall narrative that I couldn't really take in every little piece of dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of wanted to like, but I could tell it was so good. I just wanted to inject it in my veins. So I got the book, uh, you know, as this hardcover screenplay, which I really thoroughly enjoyed. I read it in a couple of days and loved every bit of it. it. Made me really like love the movie even more because I could kind of see like the intricacies of, of what was being written in the text. I've never read a screenplay before. I might have to try that out. I, I've read like, oh, you know, I like this scene. Let me see this. I actually, mm -hmm. I have a um, Steve Carell's relevant because I have a framed screenplay of the um, the dinner party episode of The Iconic. Office. 
Um, I found it at a, it's not like a legit, like original copy or anything like that, but I, I thought it was just a cool piece that I found at a yard sale. So it's framed in my room and I've read that very cool. It was like, it was a weird experience because, um, it, I don't think you could do that with a lot of other films, but mm-hmm. like this movie is in a lot, like I think any Wes Anderson movie would be this way. They're so dialogue heavy and like everything is so verbalized in a Wes Anderson movie that like it tells a full narrative as well as like from what I understand uh, him compared to other filmmakers like he's very expressive in the screenplays that he writes as opposed to like other writers will write the screenplay but like leave a lot more uh, up to the the directors um, their interpretation how they want to portray it obviously Wes is also directing the movie so he is like kind of putting every thought to page before he actually, you know, gets into mm-hmm. the production of the actual movie itself. All that aside, in Asteroid City, Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson's harder than Wes Anderson's ever Wes Anderson. <laughs> uh, in at like a peak time when everybody's saying like, "Hey, maybe ease like off the pedal a little bit," and then he just puts it down to the metal. Uh, yeah, if 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 anybody was like, "Hey, Wes, you can only do this one thing," he was like, "I'm gonna do that one thing even harder, even harder than I've ever done." Yeah. Um, I. French Dispatch actually to me is like the most Wes Anderson and frankly like I I consider myself to be a pretty big Wes fan mm-hmm. uh, and French Dispatch is not one that really sits well with me like I don't love that mm-hmm. movie um Asteroid City I feel like is a much more palatable version of like what French Dispatch is mm-hmm. where like I, I know that a lot of people really really like that movie it's not personally for me but I feel like what those fans got out of that movie. I feel like I got out of uh, Asteroid City. Yes, uh, it's a very warm, uplifting story that is is so feel good in a way that like just really hits home for me. That it has made its way into that kind of like comfort watch uh, list that I have of like the social networks up there. Boogie Nights is like my favorite movie ever. It's in there. So Asteroid City is in good company, and Brett's kind of you know his his. Uh, his ideal of of what a movie should be for you know my own personal enjoyment so it's so far up there for me like i i understand that it is not like the the most well-crafted or perfectly executed story like it it, uh, among anything else like it certainly has flaws that i think are very notable Uh, I, i have a hard time putting my exact finger on why this is but those flaws like really melt away whenever i watch the movie like i can see them but i look past them instantly yes yeah it's it's a huge middle finger to the Wes Anderson haters. He really just uh, he, he put it right up there, and said, "I'm gonna do me," and I love it for him. Uh, it's my new favorite comfort movie, and one that's gonna go down for the ages for Brett. Love that. Yeah, I I dove in head first to Wes Anderson at the start of this year because I wanted to get familiar with all of his movies before this one came out. I'm trying to remember. I think with the exception of two stop motion movies that he had done. I had not seen any of Wes Anderson's movies, but I mean, this year I watched all of them. He has very quickly become like a top three working director for me specifically because I think he might have like the lowest floor of any director. Like truly his, his worst movies are still pretty exceptional in my opinion. Ironically, I, I think this is probably like bottom tier Wes Anderson for me specifically. But the thing about his movies is they all have, like, A, their quality is all there. Like, all of them are good. B, I think when... His his movies do such a good job of, like, 
tapping into certain vibes or certain feelings that we all have. And I think he does a really good job of like, this movie of his might really connect with you. Or this movie of his might really connect with me. And for me, that's like the Darjeeling Limited. That's like, that is my favorite Wes Anderson movie. And that is absolutely a hot take. And I know that. But something about the heartbeat of that movie just really connects with me. And so I love seeing that the heartbeat of of this movie really connects with you. Um, because I, I truly think this is an awesome movie. One of the best, probably my, my favorite cast of the year. I was like going to say. Every single person in this movie is like, interesting and fun certainly gets the ensemble award jason schwartzman scarjo are like leading the the pack uh as the two front runners like the what i would call the leads it has tom hanks it has i didn't even write down all the names who was i just talking about from the office steve carell steve carell um and among others like the list is actually ridiculous if you read it there are huge names like 14 people down in the the billing for this movie and that's just because like people are people know what wes anderson produces and actors want to work with him so like they'll be there for a day of shooting i just want to make this a little bit more tangible i'm just going to read some of these names jason swartzman scarlett johansson tom hanks jeffrey wright tilda swinton brian cranston edward norton adrian brody um steve park maya hawk steve carell matt dillon willem dafoe like it's uh, it I, just I, I don't even going. have enough breath yes <laughs> absolutely absurd yeah it's awesome i i found this movie adorable i loved living in this little world I don't think I was necessarily as compelled by the plot as some people were. And specifically, I felt like it didn't really get into the plot until way late into the movie's runtime. But, like, I don't think that that will be an issue for everyone. Like, it clearly was not an issue for Brett. So, yeah, absolutely check this movie out. Whether or not you have any relationship to Wes Anderson, I don't think it's that important. Because on one hand, like you said, Brett, this this definitely is, like, one of the most Wes Anderson movies he's ever made. But on the other, it's also like really meta. Like it's a story within a story within a story. Um, Very literally, like it's about infinity yes. and, and endlessness. Yes, and and Wes does an exceptional job of like pulling ideas out of that and making you question like, what is the value in this? Or, or why do we do this? Why do we think this way? And I found that all very compelling and I enjoyed it a lot. This is another one that I definitely want to watch again because like... My my initial experience was I loved this movie. I was a little bit confused by how long it took to get into the plot. And then when it kind of did get into the plot, because it starts jumping back and forth in terms of like timelines or levels of this story, I found it just a little bit convoluted. And it's entirely possible because I loved the experience of watching this movie so much on a second watch, which I've not given it yet, as those like narratives start to form into like one more cohesive thing for me it's entirely possible this could could jump up in my my estimation there is a uh, margot robbie scene near the end of the movie that she shares with jason schwartzman that and i've heard other people say this as well that legitimately could be like the best scene <laughs> yeah. of the year it's it's incredible it's awesome. uh and i i felt like completely overwhelmed by it it was one of the like peak moments maybe even the peak moment that i felt like i really needed to read on paper, you gotta read that scene in dialogue mm, I will do in that. the book. It is uh, I I almost found it more impactful than when I oh, saw wow. it. It's amazing. Awesome. Yeah, definitely give it a look. Very cool. So that was your number three. Yes, sir. Uh, my number three. Here it is. I literally wrote here it is in my notes. Uh, this is the only movie that Lasso the Moon has ever done two episodes on, because I had so much to say about it. I had to do it twice. This is Bo is afraid. 
Ari Aster's third film following Hereditary and Midsummer. In this movie, you see Ari Aster breaking free from the sort of prestige horror box that he chose to put himself into, and he comes out with Bo's Afraid, one of the weirdest, most fun, most thoughtful, most anxiety-inducing movies I have ever seen. Can I stop you right yeah, there? Yeah, please. Fascinating to me that you have it as number three, because you liked it so much, it's my number two. Wow. Okay, that's very exciting. So that'll be the next movie that you talk about, so yeah. we can just yeah, share we'll, it? We'll loop awesome. it in. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, as you can see behind me, our, our viewers, I'm sitting in front of a Hereditary and a Midsummer poster. I love Ari Aster's work. I gave the take in our first version of the Bo is Afraid podcast that I am now of the opinion that he has made three masterpieces. That is absolutely a hot take, Brett. I'm glad to see you share uh, a love for this movie. All of the elements to this movie that received criticism, I actually loved. Um, it's broken up into four parts, and specifically a lot of people found a specific section of this movie, which is a good like 30 minutes of it to be a complete waste of time. If you've seen this movie, it's sort of this like dream fairy tale, almost animated sequence that I actually found extremely compelling. I thought it did a really good job of telling you where these characters are at and where they're going and what their motivations are. But ultimately, like this, I, I found this movie to just not be super concerned with telling a traditional movie story. And I appreciated that so much. Hereditary and Midsummer are, while I think they're both exceptional, they have they sort of use a similar language in terms of like horror and movie storytelling and Ari Aster just swung for the fences with this one and it really worked for me. I haven't even said what it's about, but if you haven't seen Bo's Afraid, it follows Bo, played by Joaquin Phoenix, uh, who's an extremely anxious man as he embarks on like an Odyssey-like adventure uh, to get home to see his mother. And like before I go any further, yes. My placement of this movie is like very biased. This is a very Bryce coded movie. I'm I tend to be drawn to more like heady, complex, confusing, weird movies. But I I just found that this movie did such a good job of putting you in the titular character Bo's shoes. You feel all of the same anxiety that he feels throughout this movie, and you just want him to succeed, but in the same way that like you feel when you have anxiety, you feel like it is impossible for him to get out of these situations because it feels like the entire world is working against you. And this movie does such an exceptional job of capturing this feeling. This is like the first year that I have like really struggled with anxiety. And I think this movie came out at like a pretty important time for me. Um, specifically, I think the first time we watched this movie, I said that, Historically, I've not been a person that really struggled with anxiety, but as it has been something more and more like prescient in my life, I've found myself thinking back to a lot of the ideas that this movie has. And I don't know if it necessarily offers a ray of hope, but it, it does at least offer me like a framework to sort of like understand, okay, this is just how this feels for everyone. This is like what this is. And it's the first time I've ever seen that really tapped into in a movie. Like, I've never seen a movie that is able to capture these feelings so effectively. And that really worked for, for me. I won't talk about, like, how deep or heady it is, because I feel like you've done a good job of covering that topic already. This Which, sorry, just, I, I do want to note, like, 
if you ever go back and listen to my episode where I just go by myself and just analyze a bunch of things in this movie and give like opinions, I state all of them like this is what it's about. At the end of the day, it's all my interpretation, and I think all of this is open to interpretation, and I love that. So, sorry, Brett, go ahead. This movie's fucking hilarious. Yeah. It is so funny. Like, it, it is in that same kind of realm as Poor Things for me this year, where it is just absurdist comedy, and it's it's very physical, and it is very uh, raw. Like, I think it is, it is more of, like, a raw comedy than Poor Things is a lot. Like, Poor Things actually does... I, I feel like hold back a little bit. This is like the most finger on the trigger movie I've seen all year. I think where it is just so brash in your face about the things that it's trying yes. to say. And it also doesn't pull any punches about like being absurd and ridiculous and funny all at the same time. I, it's probably the most I've laughed in like an actual movie theater. And I, I felt that if I remember correctly, like the theater really liked it as yes. well. And it was like a, you know, one of the best parts about a movie going experience is like the community aspect of it. And whenever everybody's in the same page in a movie theater, especially for something that's funny, it's like really special to me. Uh, specifically that second act of the four acts, the one with Nathan Lane and Amy Ryan. Yes. It's like some of the funniest filmmaking I've seen in a non straight comedy in my whole life. Probably. It's I was exceptional. very frustrated because like a while after it had been released, uh, you couldn't stream it or rent it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, if you wanted to buy it, you, or if you wanted to watch it, you had to buy it, and it was like thirty bucks. And frankly, I wasn't going to yeah. do that. Now you can rent it, so I'm really excited to go back and watch it again. Like I actually, I didn't realize you could rent it now until I put the list together mm-hmm. the other day, uh, and I'm very excited to go back and do that. But again, Bo's Afraid is my second movie on the list. I'm excited to hear what your second movie is because you called this a masterpiece, and so I don't, I don't know what the Who next knows? two are going to be for sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I everything that this movie was criticized for, like by the public or or by critics, worked for me and was a thing that actually like drew me into this movie. You mentioned you haven't rewatched it. I've watched it three times now, nice. all in theaters, and every every single time I watched it, I had more that I got out of it. I I had completely new ideas about what things might represent and. I had whole new takeaways that made me like think about different aspects of my life and my brain and my relationships and and how the world works. Ironically, like one of the biggest messages of this movie is like the relationship between a mother and a son and how that relationship can sometimes be toxic, and that is not even something that I really relate to. Like the, the those themes in particular, I did not empathize with at all. But there's just so much more going on in this movie that I was able to to draw from that I, I I could not get enough of it. I it's now streaming on Showtime or Hulu with the Showtime subscription or free if you have those. And like Brett said, it's it's easy to rent. So if you haven't checked this one out, highly do recommend it. So that brings us to your number two. My number two. Time. You ready for this one? Ready? I did a little tricksy. Oh. My number two. Poor things. I lied and wow. said it was an honorable mention. Man, I yeah, I was shocked that you said it was an honorable <laughs> mention, and you know what? I firmly believed it. Yep. Good job. Uh, thank you. Yeah, my, my second favorite movie of this year is Poor Things, for all of the reasons that Brett stated. I mean, what do you even say about this movie? It's weird. It actually shares like a lot of the reasons why I like Bo is Afraid. I like this movie. They're both pretty Bryce-coded movies in terms of being like 
pretty metaphorical, pretty weird, pretty silly, but having this like really intelligent intentionality at the center that drives every single decision that happens in the movie. It's it's certainly like the weirdest coming of age movie I've ever seen, specifically Emma Stone's character Bella ba- Baxter. I mean, you start out at what is essentially did did you talk much about like what this movie is, Brett? I don't know if you actually mentioned the plot synopsis. No, not as much as I should have. Um, so I, I guess Get after I it. can do that. So this is like Brett said, Yorgos Lanthimos's newest movie. After being brought back to life by a mad scientist played by Willem Dafoe, Bella Baxter played by Emma Stone is swept off on an adventure across the world where she learns about life again. So this is like almost Frankenstein esque. Willem Dafoe's character finds Bella Baxter's nearly dead body and brings her back to life and raises her like a daughter. And you you track her from essentially like mental infancy to adulthood. And not just adulthood, but being like a very intelligent, thoughtful, bold, challenging woman. And the the path that she gets there with is believable and entertaining Largely, she does get there uh, when she's swept off her feet by the lawyer played by um, Mark Ruffalo Ruffalo in, like Brett said, another exceptional performance. One of my favorites of the year. What else do I have written down here? Uh, Super impressive, like Brett mentioned, physical performance. I was watching um, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation over the, the holiday, and there's a lot of physical comedy in this movie, in that movie, and I was like, it's a shame we don't have this anymore in Hollywood because when done well, it, it is very good. And like you said, this is, there's some exceptional physical comedy, um, especially from Emma Stone in this movie. It's something that I don't think about when I think about comedies. Mm-hmm. And it it was so like apparent to me when I saw the movie. It stood out like a sore thumb. And it yeah. was like exceptional how funny it was. Yes. Just like the way that you watch like Mark Ruffalo move at certain points. is just yes. like hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't have a whole lot else to say that hasn't been said. I mean, th- this movie has a lot to say about gender norms and society and equality and liberation and autonomy and more and it's like this movie feels so it it feels on one hand so tiny because it's like this production design is really unique, like everything is clearly just like on a stage, like on a on a sound stage. So on on that hand, it feels very small, but on the other, it's like there are so many ideas in this movie that I just cannot wait to to dive back into and explore further to see like how Yorgos Lanthimos actually chooses to portray these ideas and and figure out what he's trying to say about them. Because frankly, I I haven't figured it all out yet. Like I'm I'm really just feeling these like fingerprints of all of these ideas in a package that. I really, really loved, but I, I have no doubt, like the more I return to this movie, just like Bo was afraid, the more I'm going to get out of it. It's without a doubt, the most unique looking movie of the year. I mean, you can see that in the trailer, like everything looks like a Dr. Seuss movie. It is, it is beautiful. It is gross. It is funny. It is sad. It is everything that I want from a movie. And I highly recommend it. It will eventually be streaming on Hulu, I think. But uh, as of right now, it's still in theaters. So catch it while you while you have a chance. Well, that brings us to number one. And last year, number one, 
whenever we had uh, our number one choice. We, uh, the three of us, me, Bryce, and Wyatt, all had the same movie, and I think it's pretty evident wow. that we probably had the same movie here at number one. So I, do we want to do it again? I think we should do it again. We should all say it together. Oh, this makes me so happy. Are you ready? One, two, the Super Mario Bros. movie. I was so confused by the, the one, two, and then speak countdown that you did. <laughs> That was a funny joke, and I was so perplexed by your countdown that I was thrown off. Yeah, our number one movie of the year, the Super Mario Brothers movie. Loved it. Yeah, in reality, the number one official Lasso the Moon favorite movie of the year is Killers of oh, the, the Flower, Flower Moon. Moon. Woo! I really thought cheers. about saying Super Mario Brothers again, but I, that horse is beaten to me. <laughs> right, go ahead. Killers of the Flower Moon, a certified hitter. From our boy Marty Martin Scorsese features uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Lily Gladstone, and Robert De Niro in featured lead roles. Uh, this is a, if I'm not mistaken, three-hour, 45-minute film uh, that is nothing short of absolutely electric. I uh, watched this movie with Bryce. We saw it together for the first time. Uh, Bryce, I believe, has seen it multiple. Just twice. Oh, actually, oh, I we should mention the story about what happened. Oh, so yeah, <laughs> when we I completely forgot about this until now. So when Killers of the Flower Moon came out, first of all, it's like been one of, if not the most highly anticipated movies on my end, at least. Same, uh, yeah. because we all love Marty here, and it's so exciting that he was going to do this big epic, right? And so me and Bryce have both been so hyped up to go see this movie. Uh, where with our schedules, the only like feasible way that we could see it the day that it released was to go to like a, I think a nine thirty. It was like a nine thirty showing, yeah. Showing on a weeknight after I had worked all day, and I knew that the runtime was long, but like I was so pumped to see this movie that I did not like pump the brakes at all on that plan, and I just went and saw it. I fell asleep so many times <laughs> during the movie. Where just I, off and on, I. Off and on, but like missing significant portions of the movie. Like specifically in the end, there's something that happens that's like very, uh, very important and like cool to see. And the I, movie kind of steps outside of itself and acknowledges some some bigger things that are not the movie. And <laughs> Brett woke up in the middle of that, so it was like I got like transported into a different movie, <laughs> and it was very disappointing. And we had walked out of the movie together and like I wasn't as like happy and excited about it as I really wanted to be. So uh, Bryce and I went back to go see it again because he was very insistent. This is like one of the best movies literally ever. Well, more specifically, I got to be honest, I forgot Brett had even seen it because in my head, I was like, Brett did not experience this movie with me because we didn't have a chance to like really have a conversation about it. And I didn't, as far as I was aware, Brett did not think about it again. I was like, Brett, this movie is so important. It is so good. You need to see it again. So even though we had just seen it like two weeks prior, I was like, Brett, we have to see this again. I literally, I'm not even exaggerating. Like I wanted to cry on the way home <laughs> because I was so disappointed uh, in the way that the night went. I had been thinking about this movie all year, mm -hmm. at least. Uh, and then it, it like the way that I saw it for the first time happened in such an underwhelming fashion. But with that being said, Bryce was so ecstatic about the movie that like I, I knew that it was, and I think this was going to happen regardless, but I couldn't go on without seeing it again. Like it was right that I had to go see it again. So I did. And I'm so happy that I did that I did because like the, the coming away that I had from this movie 
um, like to boil it all down was that I, I can't think of this movie as anything less than a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Bryce, you need to talk about it because I know that you have strong feelings. Yeah, well. I mean, it, it's unquestionably my favorite movie of the year and frankly, probably my favorite movie of the last four or five years. I, I have not had a movie that I felt so strongly was an incredible movie and I've not felt so connected to a movie in a very, very long time. Like, with the ex- with the exception of, like, a, a few of the, like, all-time great movies from the past that I've found and connected with, like, this is the first time I would say, like, I walked into a movie theater and I experienced a movie that, like, changed my life and, like, immediately stepped its way up onto my ladder of, like, these are my core movies. These are my core texts. It feels like the... Per- I mean, Martin Scorsese, again... We've talked about Martin Scorsese. This was a great year for like auteur, huge filmmakers making their next movies. I mean, we talked about Wes Anderson already. We talked about Yorgos Lanthimos already. This is Martin Scorsese, one of my favorite directors. There was a new um, Christopher Nolan Christopher Nolan movie this year. There was a new uh, The Killer. It was the new um, David, Fincher. David Fincher movie. And it's like there was a lot to look forward to. And I didn't necessarily feel like all of these directors whom I love created art that would be that would quantify as like some of the greatest work that they have done and i'm so happy to say like martin scorsese in his 80s now made what is in my opinion a top five movie of his and i i love some of his movies goodfellas is one of my favorite it's like a a totem pole movie for me goodfellas is like top four wolf of wall street is probably top top 10 top 15 for me and this movie feels like the perfect blend of the energy and the vivacity that a movie like Goodfellas or Wolf of Wall Street has combined with the like reserved, quiet, thoughtful energy that like a a silence um, from Martin Scorsese has. I mean, it, it is clear to me that this movie is coming from a great director who has lived his entire life on certain principles that he is now as a person nearing retirement, nearing, frankly, death, because I'm sure he'll probably just go until he dies. This movie feels like a man grappling with all of the guilt and the the ideas that he once professed, or at least propagated. Uh, it's a man, like, questioning all of that. If If there was any criticism towards Martin Scorsese's older movies about glorifying toxic masculinity or glorifying violence or glorifying drug use and and all of these things, which like I've always been the opinion of if you just turn on your brain and watch these movies, he's clearly like criticizing all of these ideas. It feels like a man that is like, did I really do that good a job of, of criticizing these things? It feels like he has so much to say about his role as a man and specifically like as a white man in the world that like I've truly never seen a movie that feels as like from somebody's soul as this movie does. Um, and the crazy thing is like somehow apparently this is not going to be his last movie. Somehow there's going to be another one, but if this were to be his last movie, I think it would be an excellent capstone. Um, there are just exceptional performances across the board, especially from Lily Gladstone, the female lead in this movie who I was not familiar with, but Leonardo DiCaprio is also exceptional. Robert De Niro's exceptional. I saw this movie again 
because I had to. Like, I, I truly felt like I had to. Um, and I'm glad I got to share that with Brett. I ran the full emotional gambit during this movie's three and a half hours. That three and a half hours, it, it frankly consumes me. It eats me up. It, it does not bore me. Like, I don't really feel the three and a half hour runtime in this movie. I, I, I truly feel like I could just sit in this movie forever. I like to put in the perspective of, like, from my experience of just seeing it twice, it's mm-hmm. seven hours of my life yes. is kind of unreal. And uh, I like desperately want to give up that three and a half hours again. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Um, a lot has been said about, you know, the ethics of a uh, white man making uh, a movie uh, about these, uh, these native American peoples. It's, it's a story about their culture and, you know, some of the tragedies that has occurred to them, things that are really horrible stuff i there's like a an overarching conversation here as well as other controversial topics that we talked about today that like doesn't quite have a place here but i i think that it is worth mentioning that uh you know neither bryce nor myself have like this we don't have this kind of place in society in in the film industry in our personal experiences where we can talk on the perspectives of these marginalized people groups that we have no even hints of experience of of understanding of what their life is Truly. like with that being said i think that martin scorsese made this movie with the 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 trust that had been given to him by uh his production studios as is always given him like you're Martin Scorsese, you're a savant, just like take <laughs> our money and, yeah. and make this. It wasn't a, a huge, like, Hillers of the Flower Moon did not make that much money, but he, he took that, like, responsibility to make a story that is respectful uh, of these people in, in the, like, true tragedy that they experienced. And I feel, from a personal perspective, he, he was excellent at, like, giving it the the reverence that it, it deserves if you see the movie for yourself, like I think that you'll understand the kind of like care that was taken to show like this is a story that needs to be told. This is a story that a lot of people don't know. It's one that I didn't know at all, and now one that I find is like very important to me. Like it's something that I tell people about yeah. all the time, um, just because people want to talk to me. And I'm sure you have the same experience. People want to talk to me and you about movies whenever, like when I go home and I see my family over the the you know, holidays. You know, we talk about you know, hey Brad, tell me about like what are the good movies that are playing right mm-hmm. now? And I'm like, do you know what happened <laughs> to the Osage people? Yes. <laughs> and do you understand like the ridiculous thing that occurred? It's, it's incredibly important part of American history of native American history. Uh, it's something that everybody should see and understand. Like this is truly something that is like bigger than me or, or Bryce or the podcast or like it truly like film. You know, it it is, it expands past all those things. Yes. And what specifically, I think the reason why this works and the reason why I don't think that the criticism of Martin Scorsese telling this story from a perspective that he is not, he doesn't have the right to necessarily. I don't think that that is a justifiable criticism because I would argue he's not telling the story from the Osage perspective. I don't think he ever holds any, anything back. Like this movie is from... Leonardo DiCaprio's perspective. Leonardo DiCaprio is the main character in this movie. And he's a villain. That's not really a spoiler. Like, you learn pretty quickly. He's not a great guy. But it is his perspective that we're seeing because it is Martin Scorsese wrestling with all of 
his privilege and all of the things that he has experienced his whole life as a privileged person, you see the effect that that privilege has on the world around you. And it, it feels much more conscious than I think a lot of people throwing criticism at this movie are really giving it credit for. And the movie also just like, like we mentioned earlier, it, it's not afraid to like take a step back and to be like, Hey, let me just tell you, like, these are, these are problems in the world. And yeah, it, I, I want to see this movie five more times before I really feel like I can do it justice. But yeah, this, this movie rocked me to my core. I love it so very much. Well, I suppose that wraps up our list. Good it job. It does. Yes. Uh, I do have some honorable mentions that were not mentioned by Brett that I did just want to shout out. I think a lot of people will be surprised that Past Lives was not on either of our lists. It was like 11 or 12 for me. It just missed out. An exceptional movie just didn't really connect with me in the way that I think it did a lot of people. I'm actually surprised you feel that way because I feel similarly. Mm -hmm. It's 15 on mine. Okay, yeah, it's a great movie. The Holdovers, another movie that I adored, just maybe didn't connect with me in the way that I had hoped. Bottoms, one of the funny, probably the funniest movie of the year. Um, like a very straight comedy. Yes, which yes. is ironic because it's very gay. <laughs> very gay. Uh, I also loved Maestro. Um, had some pretty big issues with it, but had some of my favorite scenes in movies this year. Really enjoyed Maestro. Just saw The Boy and the Heron yesterday, the newest Hayao Miyazaki Studio Ghibli movie. I think I need to sit with that movie a little bit more. I think I need to see it again. Again, didn't quite connect with me, but I, I truly did love it. Saltburn, another movie that I had a lot of issues with, but I, I really did enjoy. Uh, David Fincher's The Killer. I watched that one twice and enjoyed it a lot more on the second watch. I actually think it's like a pretty pretty good movie. Um, and then Kelly Reichardt's Showing Up, I, I think. Uh, it was a movie that I really enjoyed and maybe just didn't connect with me. So I had actually almost all of those same movies on my honorable mentions list. It looks like our top 20 is probably very similar. Yeah. Creed 3, I think, is worth mentioning. Creed 3 was like my 21st or 22nd movie. Yeah, it was... Um, it was one that was like kind of battling for spots in that honorable mentions area. Mm -hmm. Like if, if you hadn't mentioned all those other movies that were in my own honorable mentions, like I probably wouldn't even bring it up, but I did really enjoy Creed three. I think that that's a, a really good uh, sports movie. Guardians of the galaxy three. Also 21, 22, 23 in my, my list. It's down there in the list, but it's so worth mentioning to yes. me. Like I, I think that it, it's such a fantastic movie, uh, especially in the like conversation about, like Marvel episodic movies and, and where like what the state of that is, what the future of that holds. It's truly just like a breath of fresh air from the Marvel fatigue that I've been feeling. It, it felt completely different tonally to every other Marvel movie I've seen. Uh, Napoleon is in this, this kind of realm yep. uh, or uh, I consider to be a very flawed movie uh, that has a lot of, you know, meh, meh parts of it that it just did not sit right with me but literally like cannot go without saying because of the the battle scenes that exist in that movie it's Ridley Scott the man knows how to do like a good battle scene like some of the most incredible like how did they make this happen moments that I've seen in a movie at yes. all this year were in that movie that like was not even close to my top 10 if you if you have any favor towards like large scale battle sequences of any kind in a movie. Uh, Napoleon had like some of the best I've ever seen in more than one scene. So if that 
honestly, like any of these honorable mentions, if, if you look them up and think, oh, I, I might like that, like absolutely check them out. These are movies that Brett and I recommend and you just might like a, a little bit more than we did. I have a question for you. Please. A, a retrospective, if you will. Please. Um, so we obviously did not do nearly as many podcasts this year on the, uh, you know, down the home stretch. If you had any movie that you saw that was new this year that you wish that we would have done a full podcast episode on that we didn't. I mean, I said specifically that I was going to do a uh, Killers of the Flower Moon episode, and I just I didn't have the heart to do that one by myself. Saltburn, I think I would have had a lot to say about Saltburn. I was going to say Saltburn. That movie's so fucking crazy that yes. like the, me, you, and Wyatt sitting down and talking about it for it an hour and a half. We, we, it might still have to happen at some point. It would have been a lot <laughs> of fun. Yeah, I agree. I yeah, would. Saltburn might be my answer. Like I said, I, I I actually really did like Saltburn a lot. But even like the issues that I had with it are are pretty interesting. I think and and would lead to a good conversation. So who knows? Do you have an answer for that? Yeah, Saltburn. Saltburn. Yeah, for sure. Like it, it's like even though it is so far down there in terms of like what movies I actually liked this year. Just the one that I want to sit and talk about that I think would be so much fun is, yes. is Saltburn for sure. But yeah, that, I think that does it for our uh, top 10 movies of 2023. Unless, Brett, you have anything else no, you want to add? we did it. We, we did, did it. it. I'm ready to watch the Stillers play. Let's go. Yeah, the Stillers are playing in like 30 minutes probably, so we're going to get out of here. Just want to take one more second before we go to thank you very much, listener. I truly cannot express uh, how much your support means to to the both of us, but especially me like this this is like this podcast is my baby i love doing this very much i love having an, having an opportunity to discuss film and to to have a community where other people like actually want to talk about movies with me i mean like the whole idea behind this and and it hasn't gone exactly according to plan like if 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 it were up to me this podcast would have blown up and we'd be able to do this and talk about movies all the time but that wasn't the point that wasn't why we started it. We just wanted to have an opportunity to to grow a community that wants to talk about movies. Um, and I think that we were successful in doing that. The, the Those of you who listen to every single episode, those of you who DM us on Instagram and uh, ask when new episodes are coming out and participate in polls to, to choose the next movie that we talk about truly does mean the world. We can't uh, thank you very, thank you enough. So, Thank you very much for listening. Uh, if this is your first time, follow us at Lasso the Moon Pod on Instagram. All of our socials will be in the description for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. We would Lasso the Moon for you. We hope you would do the same for us. Good night. We love you. Love you. Bye-bye. Good night. Love you.